This is the Gently Mad, a show where I talk to and pick the brains of the smartest people running creative online businesses. Actually, not so much. If you're looking for that inspirational kick in the pants to help take your life and career to the next level, then this is probably not the place for you. To be perfectly honest, this podcast is about me. Hey, I'm Adam Clark, and I'm your host. Thanks for listening. I do talk to people on this show, but instead of that double rainbow of success BS that you'll get in most entrepreneurial shows, we talk about failure, self-doubt, and all the insecurities that we all have that keep us from doing much of anything with our lives. If that sounds like your kind of thing, then head over to avclark.com slash TGM and subscribe. Any actionable advice or helpful tips are simply a byproduct and purely unintentional. What is up, my friends? Welcome to The Gently Mad. I'm Adam Clark. This is episode 52. Thanks for listening. I'm glad you're here. We've got a great guest today, Natalie Sisson. She is better known as the suitcase entrepreneur. You can find her online, and there's tons of information about her out there. I really had a lot of fun with this interview because I didn't know anything about her before the conversation, and kind of like you want to avoid information about a movie you're looking forward to, I, I did purposely did not learn anything about her before our conversation because I, I didn't want to... Uh, I didn't want to be spoiled. I wanted to uh, discover that stuff in the middle of the conversation. And it was great. You can go to suitcaseentrepreneur.com to find out more about Natalie. And of course, all these links will be in the show notes at avclark.com slash 52. But I really enjoyed the conversation. We touched on a lot of stuff that have been kind of themes of this show. Thing Things like happiness, meaning, purpose, all that stuff that we tend to talk a lot about on the show. And I didn't realize that was going to kind of be the focus of the conversation with Natalie and I, but that that is what it was. And it, even kind of touching on the last episode, uh, episode 51 from Friday, where I was talking about the experience with my daughter that kind of was a bit of a slap in the face in terms of how as a seven-year-old, she's just naturally a little bit more grateful than I am and is able to appreciate what she has versus what she doesn't have. And I talked about how my focus always tends to be on the things that are going wrong or going badly instead of the things that are going very well, because many things are going well, even if some of the things that I'm really focused on aren't going so well. So Natalie and I talked a lot about that through the whole conversation, and one of my favorite parts was this whole concept of, you know, living in the moment and the the power of now and focusing on uh, just the moment and the things that are in your life immediately. I, I talked with Merlin Mann about this. I, I don't remember which episode number. Again, that'll be in the show notes. But we kind of talked about the same, I mean, it kind of came down to the same point that really, when it comes to happiness and meaning, all all we have is the moment that we have. You know, we can regret the past and focus on that or focus on the future and always trying to be getting to uh, the next level, the next stage of life. But both of those things kind of keep us from enjoying the moment we're in and 
I've just been realizing that a lot lately, especially with my kids. You know, there's seven. My two daughters are seven and six. We've got another one on the way. And they've just hit that age where I'm just acutely aware of the fact that uh, this time, as great as it is right now, is not going to last forever. And trying as best as I can to enjoy the moments that we're having now. And it, it, it was just a good conversation. Um, I, I don't have a long intro today. I do just want to say one thing about my upcoming new show called Irresistible Podcasting, which kind of goes along with the course. It's, it's not meant to be a companion to the course, but it is about podcasting. So that's that's why I called it Irresistible Podcasting, because that's the same name as the course. And it's going to be a daily show about podcasting in a Q&A format. And if you are into podcasting and you have questions, please go to avclark.com slash ask. And you can leave a voice question. And the show is going to be launching soon. And if you leave a voice question, then I will send you information on how to get in on the launch contest. I'm going to be giving away some pretty cool podcasting gear. So head over to avclark.com slash ask and leave your question. Other than that, I know this is not a typical intro. I tend to go on and on <laughs> during these intros, which some of you I know really like and some of you I know don't like so much. But I want to get right into this conversation today because it was it was a really good one. I really really enjoyed it and it's everything that I hope the gently mad is and can be about. I mean, it's just a a uh, perfect example conversation of, of what I love best about this show. So I hope you're having a good Monday, a good start to your week, that it's going well. You can always email me, adam at avclark.com. If you're struggling, if you're having issues, feel free to reach out and start a conversation that way or get on the newsletter, which you can do at avclark.com. Other than that, I'm going to just dive right into this conversation. So we'll be right back with my conversation with Natalie Sisson after this uh, brief word from our sponsor. The Gently Mad is sponsored today by Harvest. Harvest is a beautiful tool for time tracking, invoicing, and powerful reporting. I've been a Harvest customer myself for years now, and as I've said before, One of the greatest things I love about Harvest is the attention to detail when it comes to design. I, being a designer myself, I didn't want my invoices to look crappy. I didn't want to use a system for time tracking and report generating that didn't share the same aesthetic taste for design that I did. So I called up Danny Wen, one of the co-founders of Harvest, and all that design stuff is actually intentional. You know, when you take on a, a domain like uh, time tracking, you know, it's a thing that most people uh, find to be a hassle in the first place. Um, so we've spent a lot of uh, our time and energy over the last nine years to really make uh, the time tracking experience, make that as easy and convenient as possible. And so for us, that means really thinking about what the modern workflow looks like. Uh, is, the, is the customer um, not just on the web, but they're also on mobile, they're also in these other applications. Can we make the, the, the experience connecting all, all these different points um, as smooth and easy as possible so that 
at the end of the day, you're actually going to get uh, accurate time tracking data. So whether you're a freelancer or part of a small team or even a large team, and you need to track time, send invoices and generate reports, and you care about doing it in an extremely user-friendly way, then Harvest is the place for you. You can go to getharvest.com and sign up for free. You get uh, the first month free. And by using the promo code TGM at checkout, you can get 50% off your second month. So go to getharvest.com, check them out. And thanks to Harvest for sponsoring the Gently Mad. Well, this is it. This is my conversation with Natalie. I hope you enjoy it. It was especially fun for me. I feel like we talked about all the things that I love to talk about on the show and just all the way through, all the way to the end. It was just packed with great stuff about living your life on purpose and meaning and happiness and, and, and all of that stuff. So uh, as I said, I hope you enjoy it. hope you're having a great week. I will see you at the end of this conversation, but let's get into this. This is my conversation with Natalie Sisson. When you agreed to come on the show, like, I, I could have easily gone to your website and read up on you and you've got a podcast and you've done lots of interviews, but I purposely avoided all that stuff because I didn't want to like find out anything, you know, <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to know who you were, uh, and, until you told me. But one thing I did find out is that since you are the suitcase entrepreneur, I feel like we need to establish like a geographical, um, mm-hmm. construct here. Cause I have no idea where in the world you are right now. Oh, well, luckily for you, I'm in a place that's not super exotic, but um, I'm in San Diego. So I arrived here for the Social Media Marketing World Conference, spoke at that, ran a mastermind event, moved into a house yesterday, joined a gym, bought a bicycle, (laughs) and I'm going to be here for almost two months. Wow. That's a lot of stuff you did in uh, two days. So Yeah. Yeah, it is. That's crazy. So (laughs) is that the, um, you know, you talk about traveling, you know, all, all the time and living out of your suitcase. Um, is this the, is this what you tend to do is like, uh, stay in a place for a couple of months and, and find a place to rent and kind of settle in? Um, or is it shorter than that? Typically, that is a lot shorter. This is a new thing I'm trying this year where I'm trying to spend more time in fewer places. So I was just in Bali for seven weeks, although I did move around and this two months is, I mean, I may even just be a month here, but that's a long time for me to actually rent out a house. I organized entrepreneurial friends to, you know, rent it with me. So that's uh, part of the plan this year is more time in fewer places. But normally it's like a week or a couple of weeks or it just depends how manic my travel is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and here's the thing. I did not even know that um, this is crazy. But like I said, I, I wanted to try to not find out anything about you because I like discovering these things on the show. Same. But um, <laughs> you are clearly not um, uh, from America. So I, I can I can tell. Surprise! Uh, so, I'm from New Zealand. Right? Yeah, I was gonna say it sounded like New Zealand to me, which is awesome. So you're the first uh, you're the first uh, New Zealander on the uh, on the show. So that's nice. But oh, um, awesome. when did you uh, when did you uh, le- well did you ever officially leave, or is that can st- is that still your home base? 
Uh, I don't actually have a home base. I left in 2006. So I've been back a few times, but I don't technically have a home base anywhere. Okay. Is that by choice or just? Yes, it is by choice. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's also just for sometimes um, business purpose. I don't know. It's just something, it's just the way I like to do it. I just enjoy traveling and and going around the world, and I've I've pared down so much that I just live out of a suitcase. So I can, yeah, makes sense. You know, you just said business. That makes that's an interesting thing, though. Like with all the businesses you do, how do you, like, where are your businesses uh, incorporated? Or I mean, you know, I know you have to have like addresses for those kinds of things. Is Mwah-uh-uh. that's actually pretty funny? That could be an interesting topic on the show. Um, because I'm a little bit of a special case. There's a small subsection of this entire human population who sort of managed to be flying under the radar a little when it comes to all those things. So yeah. um, I'm, an, I'm a, as a tax resident of New Zealand, you are instantly a sole proprietor if you choose to start a business. So you don't actually need oh. to incorporate or anything, okay. which is just something that we have within our system. However, uh, and maybe it's not great for the show because it's hard to explain. I've, I'm a non-tax <laughs> resident of New Zealand. So you're yeah. probably seeing between the lines here that I kind of, there's this weird tax uh, thing where I'm sort of under the radar on that front, but legitimately I've looked into it with immigration offices with lawyers and there's just this weird loophole for people who are digital nomads who are based nowhere who don't earn income from any one particular source who don't Mm -hmm. have addresses in those countries so yeah i have an address in the u.s now that i got through regis so i'm paying for the pleasure of having an address in austin so that people can send me correspondence and i am trying to set up a u.s um based llc here and getting a u.s visa but that's not that's in the process right now. But I, yeah. I kind of use an old address in New Zealand where my parents live for anything, and my U.S. bank uses that address. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, they're really not set up for us. They're like, what's your number? I'm like, I don't know. It changes every time I go to another country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's true, though. So, uh, like, how do, you get, uh, how, do you, how do you get mail? I mean, how, how does something um, like that work? I hope to not get mail. I mean, it's lovely to get mail, but generally <laughs> yeah. I just hope that people hit me up online and email. I mean... Sure. I'm all about no paper and sort of no paper trail and and all the digital aspect of just living really light. So I don't I don't get mail. I didn't get any Christmas cards this year either because nobody knows where to send them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you said your number, um, were you talking about a phone number? Like that changes all the time too? Um, yes, it does because I just have an unlocked iPhone and so I'll just put the SIM card in for each country that I'm going to. It actually works out a lot better. So Really? Yeah. yeah. So I just grabbed one here. When I got here, I got through T-Mobile. I've just got one for the time that I'm here and just on a prepaid contract. Hmm, Interesting. So with your number changing all the time, uh, like, does that make it like, how does that work? Like, how do you? Yeah, I also have uh, a Skype premium premium number. So that's the one Mm. that I give out to anything that needs a permanent number, because then they can leave a voicemail on there and I can get back to them. So that works. Yeah. And it's a New York number for whatever reason, because most of my customers and business are actually, well, most of the people in my community are American. Okay. Well, I want to get to that uh, when you just mentioned customers, like I'm not sure who your customers are, but, Mm -hmm. but first of all, uh, what do you love about, like, what is it that you love about the constant uh, travel? Like, what do you think is driving that? What do I love about it? Well, I don't think it's for everybody, that's for sure. So I would say I just love that it keeps you really humble and that it keeps you on your toes. You're having to make decisions constantly. You're having to adapt. You're having to change. And so... I honestly think that makes me a better person. I don't take things for granted. I expect the unexpected. I don't get too comfortable. And it makes life really rich to live that way. In Mm -hmm. my mind, for some other people, they probably think it's the worst thing in the world. So 
Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it would be it would be for me because I hate to travel. So right. <laughs> I'm I'm as like as much of a homebody as there can possibly be. So how do you know? It depends on if you hate to travel or if you hate the kind of travel maybe that I'm doing. But there might be other sorts of travel that you really love. Yeah, no, I, and I don't mean to say that like, um, you know, I enjoy taking vacations occasionally and I visit friends that are, you know, I'm based in the Southeast in Tennessee and I, but I lived in California for a long time. So I have a lot of friends on the West coast and, you know, kind of around, uh, the United States anyway, and in Canada. So, you know, I certainly love visiting occasionally, but, um, I used to be in a band and, you know, I think, uh, it was the touring that just, uh, uh, killed me it just kind of you know it was like it's like if you've ever eaten too much of something and then you just don't ever like that thing again because you got sick you know and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know touring in that band got to be such a rough experience that uh like traveling I, I still haven't come back around to think about traveling positively like uh, enjoying that because it just got to be such a rough experience but I obviously I know that touring in a band is different than the kind of travel that a lot of people do. So it's not the same, not the same thing, but, uh, um, so you said you're kind of slowing it down a little bit though. Um, well, I guess, I guess maybe how did this, let's just back up a little bit. Like how did, you know, I'm assuming that you probably haven't traveled your entire life. So what, uh, um, maybe you have, but how did you, how did you become the suitcase entrepreneur, you know, and kind of promoting this, you know, what you're known for is that traveling lifestyle. Uh, yeah. How did I become it? You know, I think I just started living and breathing my brand. So I took off and when was it now? I need to remember to late 2010. Once I actually had a product or a program that I thought I could put online, mm-hmm. the minute I actually launched it and made like one sale, I was like, Oh my God, I can do this from anywhere. And that's <laughs> when I took off to Buenos Aires and did that. Um, and that was really, really difficult, I have to admit, because I didn't know the language that well. My Spanish sucked, really. It's quite different in Argentina. The internet was terrible. Mm-hmm. I had to find a place to live. And all these things, along with moving to a new country, finding a home, and launching my first online program, just made it pretty stressful. But um, you got to learn by baptism by fire. And from there, I went on and uh, just kind of continued doing that. And for whatever reason, I think that I was in Argentina for five months, but from then on, I think I went to Amsterdam for two months, and then I went somewhere else in Europe for two months, and then I went somewhere else for three weeks, and before I knew it, I was literally living and breathing my brand, and it kind of made sense, because a lot of people would look at it and go, oh, I'd love to do what you're doing, and I could actually say, yes, I'm actually doing it, so in my mind, it made me more credible, sure. um, I, plus I, I loved it and enjoyed it, and I was kind of proving my own concepts, right, so did I have the right systems in place, had I streamlined my tools so that I could work from anywhere. Could I be offline and still, you know, make money? Um, was this exactly what I wanted? And I think I can speak to it from a much better place because the minute I stop traveling, you almost forget about those nuances that people don't necessarily consider or know about. And it's so much easier to write about them when you're actually in the midst of them and doing them from the road. What what kind of uh, nuances are you talking about? So things like, so I was just in Bali and, you know, I just, I forgot how hard it is sometimes in parts of the world where, you know, maybe third world areas, not that I consider Indonesia that much, but others would, you know, internet is just not up to speed yet compared to what I would expect in other countries. Neither is it in New Zealand, to be honest, or Australia. So it's not like first world countries don't have it, but they would have rolling power outages, which I didn't realize. And Mm. so you'd just be 
you know, even if you had a podcast interview or a client call, depending on what you're doing, you just like, there was the whole country would just have no power because that's how they save the power. And I'd be like, oh, I wasn't expecting this today. Yeah. Um, there'd be, I was trying to record modules for my upcoming freedom plan. And I really, you know, I don't have a soundproof quality studio ever. But for this, I, it was really important that there's not external noise going on in the background. And there were chickens and roosters and cicadas <laughs> and dogs and motorbikes and yeah. crickets. And like it was, it was nature on fire, which I love. But when you're recording, you, it just frustrated me. I had to like go out on a motorbike for 5Ks to find a rice paddy field with this villa to sit under a blanket to try and like, <laughs> mute the sound. So I guess it's things like that that make you appreciate the stuff you usually have in your life and the yeah. comforts. And when you're not living there or, you know, missed flights or delayed connections, I mean, I'm not making it sound great, but, but I guess these are the things that you start to get better at. Like I really like being in airports because I use my time really effectively. I like flying because it's offline and I get so much done and I also get to watch movies and listen to podcasts. And sure. Um, so just those things that you forget when you're not traveling. Uh, well, what is it about those things that you think help you? Um, you mentioned, you know, they help you in, in your writing and the stuff that you do. And I guess we'll get to exactly what it is that you do. But, you know, how do those ex <laughs> <laughs> how do those experiences um, help you in, in what you do, like from a business perspective? Uh, hugely. And this is, this is the stuff you just can't teach, right? Until, I mean, until I'm sitting in front of somebody and I can tell them about it. As I said, I think the whole having to adapt to whatever gets thrown at you makes me a much better entrepreneur because for example, coming up to a launch, there's a whole lot of stuff coming and I feel like I can handle it because I've been through it before or I'm expecting maybe something won't work out or won't go wrong. So I've got like a backup plan. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing I think just with, through booking, you know, I'm constantly having to book and find a new place to live, um, my next set of transport options, the next country I'm going to. So I'm constantly making pretty big decisions, which now seem less big, but yeah. nonetheless, they're still challenging. And I think that then applies to how I make decisions in business. And I notice this when I hang out with people, like I was just at a conference and I see people really having decisions, you know, tough time making decision on what they're going to eat or what. Yeah. And I'm just like, bam, 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 because I'm so used to having to, to do this. I'm just like, no fuss, no nonsense. This seems like the most logical decision. And I've worked it out in my mind. Great. And, um, and it's fascinating. Also, just like when I'm traveling, I'm very organized most of the time. So I'm usually in a state of pack, which I think I also am with my business. I've worked out some great systems because I've had to be organized. And I wasn't that organized before. I wasn't that disciplined. And I've mm -hmm. become that way. And the more disciplined I am, the more freedom I have, which is something I didn't realize for the longest time. And I think that transfers over into, you know, from life into business really well. So yeah. those are the, those, yeah, I guess they'd be the kind of things I already think. And the final one would be, you know, I'm constantly on the road and meeting people. And that's a beautiful thing most of the time. Sometimes I just want to be a recluse and hang out. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's really good because you learn from everybody, even when you think you don't. So you meet the widest variety of people. It allows you to be able to talk and understand and empathize with and learn from just, you know, a huge cross-section of society. And I think that is always a good thing because I must admit, sometimes when I come to the U.S. as much as I love it, when I meet people who haven't traveled outside of the U.S. yet, you know, there's a definite gap between what we can discuss because, you know, my mind has just been expanded so much and the experiences I've had have just been so incredible. And I can't relay that to them because they, you know, they don't, they haven't experienced it yet. Yeah, no, it's, it's really true. I mean, I, I, I'm not widely, widely traveled, but I spent a semester in college in, um, 
in the Middle East. And oh. and, and the Middle East is like, uh, you know, it's not like spending a semester in London or something. You know? <laughs> I mean, the Middle East no. is very different than a Western culture. And like I actually lived on a little uh, kibbutz and was like part of the, you know, helping make that thing run. And and um, and, and having that time, uh, it was really hard at first because you're just not used to you know, I'd never left other than Canada or Mexico. I'd never left the United States before at that point. And, um, well, I mean, I had been to London, so yeah, but, um, but that's fairly similar, you know, um, in terms of the culture, but yeah, I totally agree with you. Like spending that time there, um, it just changed, it just changed so much about how I, you know, we, we live, uh, and we just tend to assume so many things like we don't realize how many presuppositions we have about the world and about how it works and about people until you like get far enough out of your own culture. And, and it, it you're, you're totally right. It does open your mind in a way and, and you start questioning all these things you just assumed your whole life that you didn't even realize that you assumed. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I think it's great. Uh, great uh, experience to do that. And you're doing it all the time. You know, like I think I've forgotten, <laughs> you know, that was 15 years ago. I think I've forgotten a lot of what that experience taught me. Yeah. And I'd love to give a quick example of like, sometimes I just, I forget as well. Like last year I was in Japan for the first time. I hadn't been to the Middle East yet, but I did get asked to go and speak there. So we'll see next year. Um, but I was in Japan and I, my father actually came over to visit me for a little bit, which was so cool. He's yeah. English, but they live in New Zealand and, you know, he's 77, now 78. And I just thought it was so amazing he came to visit. So I took him all over the bits of Japan that I sort of experienced or wanted to see. And we were, the trains there are incredible, the bullet trains. And we were standing in line and I have no Japanese to my merit, so I, I can't speak it at all. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I knew while I was there, it was going to be a little bit harder, but in general, their English is okay. And I just was trying to ask a simple question about the train and the ticket and this guy just kind of kept coming back with the same answer. And I tried a few different answers to the question and he kept coming back. And then I just started, I became that tourist. I was horrified. I became that tourist who raised my voice and <laughs> shouted louder at the poor guy. And um, something about the Japanese culture that I, I did know at that point but really had forgotten is that they get you know embarrassed. They always want to be able to serve. It's a very much a community, do everything for the community there. So they always want everything to be sort of perfect and done right. When they can't, they get shy and embarrassed and so they back off and they just they clam up and they don't answer stuff. And it's not them being unhelpful. It's them actually being sort of embarrassed that yeah. they haven't been able to help. And so you can just imagine, I'm like, no, I want to know. And, uh, and in the end, I was like, fine. Yeah. And I, I huffed off and my dad, to his credit, pulled me up and he's like, Nat, that wasn't a very nice way to treat the guy. And I was like, oh, you know, I just had this moment where I was like, oh, no, I was that kind of tourist. Like yeah. I had this moment where I just assumed everybody should be able to speak English and help me out in my situation. And uh, so I've been really mindful ever since then. I think it re I realized I've been traveling for too long. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm curious, like going back a little bit to uh, when I said, how did you become the suitcase entrepreneur? I, I guess what I meant was, is, uh, you know, what was it that made you, you know, what did you do before this? Like, you know, kind of um, like growing up and going through college, what did you think you were going to do? And and what led you to decide, I want to travel full time and write about those experiences and make products and, you know, be that kind of entrepreneur. I mean, I imagine when you were a teenager, you didn't think that's what you were going to do, or maybe you did. 
No, and that's a great question, so I'll answer it properly this time. Okay. <laughs> so it was really interesting. When I went back home for the first time in six and a half years, because that's how long I was about away, um, I was cleaning out some of my stuff. I don't actually own any stuff back in New Zealand, but I now have one box with school books and those reports and those things that you just don't ever want to throw away, but I've pared it right down. And I have mm-hmm. one box with a few knickknacks and travel things that I've collected over the years. So pretty pared down. And that's kind of my parents, but they had a flood in the basement and they're like, Nat, you need to go through your diaries and your school books because a lot of stuff got ruined. And I was like, great, it's a good time to get rid of it. And it was fascinating looking in that box, Adam, because I realized that I'd, I'd been on the school magazine at school. I'd um, always loved, I'd like in the history classes at school, I talked about world travels and drawn out maps and charted my travels because since I was age two, my parents, fortunately for me, took my sister and I on world trips and family holidays as, as often as they could afford. Mm-hmm. Um, and kids used to fly for very little under 12. So mum and dad were smart and they used to take us a lot when we were under 12. So yeah. from a young age, I was exposed to traveling and I became a really good traveler. Then at school, like, you know, I studied on history and classics and then I wanted to go and see all these incredible things like the Parthenon um, in Greece, etc. So definitely that sparked my attention. I was on the school magazine editing. And then at university, I studied, I actually took a tourism degree in service management and they said, well, since it's such a new business degree, you should also take a Bachelor of Commerce. So I studied, interestingly enough, tourism and service management in one degree and information management and IT in another. So really nice combination. Of yeah. That. And then throughout my entire corporate career of eight years, I was basically marketing brand management into business development where I was turning in the final job doctors into entrepreneurs. And so this whole combination, looking back on it, like just set me up to be a suitcase entrepreneur where it's a perfect intersection between producing content, writing about travels, videos, podcasting, et cetera. And then this whole marketing, branding, monetizing yourself, building presence and community. Was that career in New Zealand? Was that all in New Zealand? It was mainly in New Zealand, but also in the UK. So I flew off to London in 2006 after traveling for a bit and I got um, some really great contract jobs there. So Um, They also took me all over Europe, which was awesome. And then I was like, all right, that's it. I don't want to work for anybody anymore. So, yeah, I think. Tell me, I really wanted, I'd love to know about that. Like, what was Mm. that moment when you said, I don't want to work for anyone anymore. And you thought that maybe you could, you could make it on your own. I don't know if you had an idea yet, but just what your frame of mind was when you decided, uh, working for someone else in a traditional kind of job for the next 30 years is not what I want to do? Well, great question. I really wish I'd figured it out sooner, to be honest, because if I look at my corporate career in history, I literally jumped jobs all the time. The minute I'd mastered it, the minute I'd done my best job in it, the minute I was bored, I'd like quit, go traveling, come back when I was broke and do it all again and and keep rising up the ranks. So I should have probably guessed at that point I wasn't as great being led by managers I didn't like as much. I had a lot of roles that had a lot of autonomy, which was good. Um, But the final role that pushed me over the edge was working for a trade union slash professional association in London. And on paper, the job looked unbelievable, like really great pay. I got to head up a new department. They even built me a new office. I got to find a new team. And basically, I was brought in to create propositions that helped doctors at the time take advantage of the healthcare system and almost become entrepreneurial. So in my idea, like in my mind, it was just awesome. Um, And unfortunately, like the reality is paper doesn't always turn into real life. And it was bureaucratic. (laughs) It was a 50-year-old white male old boys club, like no offense, but it really was. So the senior management had been there for 25 plus years. Yeah. 
knew everything, obviously, which meant they didn't know anything, were not in touch with their, their customers and their clients and blocked me at every single point. So I was brought in to do this job that they then blocked me from doing and it, mm. it made me miserable. Um, I just felt like so like useless and all these skills and talents that I've been brought in to put there, I felt like I was battling and fighting to get out there and I really wanted to help the key people and they were saying no um, because they were scared and it was risky uh, and all this stuff and I was like, this screw this I'm just this is such a waste of time and you guys are so stupid like I just was so frustrated and I'd wake up in the morning and I didn't want to go to work and that I've never had that in my life never ever um plus I was getting a bit tired of London it's an incredible city but when you're in the nine to five rat race it is not a nice place to be I was on commuting <laughs> every day and um yeah just everything summed up it was shitty and cold and this job was frustrating me and I was like that's it, I quit. They gave me a raise and a promotion, and I was like, that's lovely. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, why, why not go get another job at that point, though? Like, what made you say, I'm going to do my own thing? It was, I just didn't want to work for anybody anymore because they'd proven to me that I, like, there was no way you should ever be working for the man or the woman if they're not prepared to respect your ideas and let you do your thing. And I think sure. it was the fact that they just restricted it so much. And I was like, why don't I take all my skills and knowledge and do my own thing where I get to lead and dictate what the heck I work on and how I can implement projects and then I can change people's lives and not get blocked. So did you have an idea of what that entrepreneurial career was going to be at that point? Like, do you have an idea of how you were going to make money or was it just, I'm going to figure it out? There was a lot of figure it out, like yeah. just make the exciting task of, you know, quitting. And I just bought a property in London with a friend, like, co-invested so my friends thought I was mad um, I bought a one-way ticket to Canada I went to play ultimate frisbee world ultimate frisbee championships and I figured I'd figured it out after that um, and I had an idea that maybe I could combine the years of marketing and business development and my love for health and fitness into going into corporates and kind of building programs for them whereby I could make their employees happier and healthier because I certainly saw in the organization I was in People were taking tons of sick leave. It was costing them a fortune and yeah. people weren't very happy or healthy and energetic. And I was like, what if I can go in and train, change this and they can pay me instead of spending millions or billions on, you know, sick leave and healthcare and insurance yeah. and I show them how to make it a healthier organization. So that was going to be my, not my backup plan, but that was my thought. Even though I was going to a new city where I had no new contacts and no previous experience in this, that was what I was going <laughs> to, that's what I was going to do. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, so you were going to, that's what you were going to do. And you go to Canada and you're, you're doing the, I didn't even know that there was like a world championship in ultimate Frisbee, but <laughs> I guess there Where is. Have so you been or, come on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I am like the most, I am the most sports illiterate person. Uh, like <laughs> my, my wife knows more about, you know, sports than I do. I mean, like I'll, I'll see some, some famous football players being talked about in the news and I'm asking her, who is this guy? You know, <laughs> I just don't, <laughs> I'm not connected to it at all, but, um, but regardless, so you go to do that. Um, how, what, what changed, you know, why, why didn't that plan you just laid out actually come to be? Because I was doing a lot of networking, which is a great thing to do when you first get to a city. I was going to every single networking event I could think of that I found on Eventbrite or meetup.com. And, um, along the way I started sending, attending more tech startup kind of events because Vancouver is just all about startups. Yeah. Um, well that's, you know, what they like to think is one part of it. And I met 
a guy there, that sounds odd, doesn't it, over a giant <laughs> glass of wine and cheese. And yeah. he was like, I'm wanting to set up this company does X, Y, Z. And I was like, oh, I'm a homeless, unemployed bum that just arrived here and is really great at marketing and branding and business development. Yeah. He was like, perfect fit. And I was like, excellent. So <laughs> we went out for lunch the next day, which in reflection, like all of this could have just been dodgy, like some guy hitting on me. But luckily, he was super great family man, had um, created startups and successfully exited from them in the past. And it really just was a perfect time. And so we co-founded this business together and he took me under his wing in some respects because I had all this experience back here, but I'd never started a company. So I learned about business models and I even got angel investors on board and the financial modeling and building software and um, yeah. marketing a company from scratch with zero budget, which was totally different to what I was used to. But, you know, I hit the ground running and it was incredible. And we, we built this business over the next 18 months. So I was, I was really fortunate and I loved the tech sector and I was definitely fascinated to get involved and start a business that way. So it was an even better opportunity than me trying to do my own thing, I honestly think. Yeah. What um now I, I forgot to ask you, I'm curious, did you what what happened with that world championship? Did you uh did you oh, win that uh, or what? <laughs> he, I played for the New Zealand women. We came sixth. We just got beaten out by UK. Obviously Canada and the US um are pretty majorly up there given that the US started the sport which has around a million players around the world. So it's not big. You don't you know, but it is a sport that we love. But yeah, we came sixth and it was a pretty intense competition and challenge to go through in a new city as well. Had you ever thought about, I mean, um, with all the, the health and fitness and, you know, I mean, you got to be pretty good at it to do what you did. Uh, what was like a career as an athlete ever in your mind? Huh, that's a fascinating question I've never had before. Um, yeah, for sure. I think I would have loved to have been a pro tennis player. I have loved tennis since I was young and I'm pretty decent at it. And I used to go to the Australian Open every year. I used to pop over the pond, as we call it, and go and watch. <laughs> and I honestly felt I could have been a tennis player had I actually invested in it. I got asked at school a long time ago to join the New Zealand handball team and train for that. But handball, I was like, meh. Um, and, yeah. and in the future, when I have tons of money to spend and invest in other people and team and businesses, I also want to invest some into becoming a race car driver because it's an expensive <laughs> sport. But that would be my other sport. Yeah. But so yeah. the but, but so the thought of like uh like pursuing um uh, being an athlete full time like a, as a career uh that uh, never that never crossed your mind or you didn't take it seriously or it didn't because I just didn't think there was enough money in professional sport especially not coming from New Zealand like I mm. think over in America for sure and other countries there's a very much a direct path out of college into those things but sure. in New Zealand it's you know no. It's not, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, it is now, but at the time for me, I don't, maybe I didn't think I was, I was all rounder. I played so many sports, um, so many sports, and I never really picked one to become good at. I was, I was decent and good at most of them, but no, it hadn't crossed my mind actually. Do you think you would, okay, here's a selfish question from my perspective. I have kids and they're, and they're both girls and my oldest is like you. She, she wants, she wants to play all the sports, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, you know, I, sometimes I'm not sure whether, you know, to say, sure, go play them all or say, why don't you focus your energy in one? You know, do you, would you have, if you could do it again, would you kind of focus on one or do you, it, you, are you appreciate your experience of, of, of kind of dabbling in all of them? That's a great question. I think for your daughter, I think it's awesome that she wants to dabble initially. And I think that's where you find the one that you're most passionate about. Sure. Plus, I think all of the sports combined helped me to become a great ultimate Frisbee player because I played something mm. called netball, which 
some people will know what that is around the world. It's a little bit of a cross between basketball. It's really cool, fast game, and that helped me with ultimate. I played tennis, which helped me with that. I used to do triathlons. Um, I played cricket. I played touch rugby. And yeah. I think all of those things still just make you a better teammate. Uh, some of them are individual sports. Some of them are team. And I think that's really valuable for you to figure out which of those you like more. Yeah. And, you know, because if you're in a team sport and you become a captain or whatever, it makes you a better leader or you need to work with people to get the best out of yourself. It's individual pursuits. That's all, you know, mental driven. So which did you like better? Oh, that's a great question. I uh, That's a really tough question because I'm very competitive. So if I'm on a great team, I love it if we're winning yeah. <laughs> or if we're losing but we played really well. I probably prefer team sports, but there's still a part of me that loves the individual pursuit. That's why one day I want to be doing um, a half Ironman if not a full. And that's why I've done things like cycling down Africa and body sculpting and just sort of challenge myself on those things. But honestly, I think it's cool to do it with other people. What do you, what do you think it is that, um, cause I have friends like you, you know, what, what do you, what do you think it is? That sounds negative. I don't, I don't mean it negatively. <laughs> I mean, I have friends that are, are, are very, um, um, competitive and they're very competitive against themselves. Like they're always trying to, you know, they've got to, um, constantly be faced with challenges you know like you said like you said you know like uh they'll go through crossfit and, and sometimes there are physical challenges sometimes they're business challenges but they're very type a and they're very much like you know once the challenge has been completed it's it's they've got to have another big challenge almost to to thrive and and i'm curious because i'm just not like that at all like i i don't um you know, there's nothing in me that says, you know, I, I need to accomplish this this kind of feat or something. And and I'm always curious, like what um, what, what what drives that for you? Like what uh, what do you think? Uh, maybe it's just personality. I don't know. But what do you think it is that makes you, you know, uh, constantly uh, put these big challenges in front of yourself? Is also a great question. I, I think you're either born with it. I mean, I think it can be a learned skill, but I've just always been like this. If I think back to when I was a kid, I used to adore winning Monopoly and beating my sister. <laughs> so mean. I yeah. used to break the bank as well. Um, I think it's just sort of inherent, this competitive drive, but I yeah. usually have a good handle on it and I use it for a force of good. Mm -hmm. Um and I get what you mean because I definitely have friends who are just constantly on the go and I find that exhausting. Like they are constantly driving and constantly setting the next goal and doing the next thing. I think I've become way more relaxed in my old age. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I still am probably more competitive or driven than a lot of people I know. But I'm also, I know how to switch off. I know how to relax. I know how to take digital detoxes. I know how to have massages and chill out. So yeah. I think if you manage it well, it can be incredible. So the year when I did my, I tried out body sculpting, not bodybuilding, but body sculpting. So you get very lean and muscular, but you still look semi-normal. And that was a <laughs> yeah. whole new thing for me. And, you know, I took nine months to go through the training and do it myself and train every single day and got really thin and won my competition. And then I was like, all right, done that. Like, don't ever want to do that again. Yeah. But during that year, I was such an amazing year. Like I felt like I could do anything. I was reading Tony Robbins. I had a great job. I was training. I won this competition. I just felt like I was on top of the world. And so that feeling is a really, I guess, addictive sort of thing, but also it shows just what you're capable of and how much more you can push yourself than you ever think is possible. Sure. And that's why I like to do these adventures or these kind of um, challenges in my life because they force me out of my comfort zone and make me really see what I'm capable of for the good of everybody else, hopefully as well, yeah. not just myself. 
It's interesting. I feel like I'm the same way, but I do it more. Um, I don't know how to put it. I, 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 it's more like a mental thing with me. Like I've always, I always wanted to be a writer. I've always been into philosophy and literature and, and I'm always wanting to solve problems and, and, and figure out things, but that never transferred to like the physical challenge arena, you know, like a lot of my buddies are, do, you know, like you said, want to do the, the marathons and like, there's something about that for them. That's very satisfying. And, and for me, it's just not, um, it's not appealing, but I do the same thing just, um, kind of sitting at my desk in my study, if that makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, I, yeah, each to their own, right? Like I love people who go on mental challenges or people who go on experiential life challenges as opposed to physical adventures. It's just that I'm quite a physical active person. I know it makes me feel better when I do exercise. I know it, um, yeah, does feel more alive in every single way. So those are the ones that I choose. But I also Well, you're do kind like, of doing them both though. Yeah, that yes, that's true. Well, I like to be an all-rounded person. I think it makes me more balanced. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, if somebody just always physically trains but they leave their mind behind, you can see how that – imbalances there. I mean, I just got taught a really good lesson when I was in Bali, um, which is quite a spiritual place. And a lot of people go there to find themselves and do spiritual healing and yoga and there's that whole aspect of it. And I was like, you know, that's cool. You do that. I'm working on my launch. And uh, while I was there, (laughs) I was relaxing and chilling and adventuring and working um, pretty focused. But somehow the spiritual aspect crept in. I had a few learning lessons, like where I held the mirror up to my face and learned some stuff about myself and love and and how I come across. And it kind of, yeah, it was a good challenge for me. It was a good lesson learned that I wouldn't have necessarily received. So there's a whole lot of aspects that I'm still working on and realize I have to, you know, put time into and develop. As humans, I think it's fascinating to just stay curious and constantly be improving yourself to be the best version of you. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. You bring up um, the whole spiritual aspect. Has that ever been a, had that ever been a part of your life up until that point? Um, well, I, hmm, it's a great question. Yes and no. Like my, my dad has, um, we were, grew up Anglican, so Christian faith and mm-hmm. we used to go to church every single weekend, went to Sunday school. And then around the age of 11 or 12, I had a pretty adult conversation with my dad. And I said, look, I just, this just doesn't resonate with me. I don't fully believe in this. It's never come across my life. I don't believe I've sinned as a young kid. I feel I'm pretty honest. I feel mm-hmm. I'm doing good in the world. And he's like, that's cool, Nat, you know, whatever it needs to resonate with you. So I, I didn't go to church anymore. And I've pretty much been into Taoism, even though it's spelled with a T, Taoism, which is actually a philosophy and way of life on do good to yourself. Um, think of people, animals and nature equally. Uh, it's a very simple minimalist philosophy whereby, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard much about it. There's the Tao of Pooh where they've taken Winnie the Pooh and how much he just loves the simple things in life, like his honey, like his good friends, like walking through the forest, like noticing the sky and the flowers and the birds, etc. And that's pretty much how I go through life. I'm very grateful for the simple things. And I just want each one of those things to be sort of in balance and harmony and that we all treat each other with respect. Yeah. So that's as spiritual as I get, but I've definitely been going on more of a journey in the past couple of years and opening up to just the different types of religions that are available and philosophies and more being empathetic to other people and what they bring to me as opposed to dismissing you know what some people go oh that's a bit woo woo and I'll go okay yeah maybe yeah. it is but but what but what brought them to that place and what can I learn from them um vulnerability has also come in more I love Brene Brown's you know talk on vulnerability oh yeah just meeting people who are more open to that because I'm very much a in my head um you know I'm a thinker rather than a 
heartfelt person, but if you see me around dogs and nature, I'm the biggest sook ever. So I know <laughs> I have the capacity for both and just meeting people who bring out more of one side than the other is really good for me, you know, to get yeah. myself sometimes out of that hard thinking focused brain orientated into the more what's possible, what's out there, etc. So it's, yeah. a, it's a journey. Well, the whole minimalism thing you brought up was something I wanted to ask you about because um, there's it definitely seems like there's some sort of theme of minimalism or simplicity in life, even though you're, you're traveling a lot and, and stuff like that, you know, you've, you've managed to kind of streamline everything and, and there's definitely a sense of minimalism or at least simplicity there. And, um, is that something that, uh, you're consciously drawn to or, you know, what was it just, it's just what happened, you know what I mean? Or, or did you, did you consciously think about, I, I want to simplify and minimalize my life and, and not, you know, kind of pursue a more materialistic path that at least a lot of people in this country tend to pursue? A bit of both, actually. Um, I think when I first took that trip to Argentina and I'd been in Canada, I was quite surprised that in the two years that I lived in Canada that I'd accumulated quite a lot of stuff. And, and to anybody else, it wasn't much stuff, but it took up maybe a bed. And I was like, hmm, that's quite a lot of stuff to accumulate. Where did I get all these clothes, yeah. all these books, all this just stuff? And so when I was traveling to Argentina, even then I paired right down. I gave away all my clothes to friends. We had like a girls' evening and they came around. I, I gave books to, away to friends who really wanted them. And everything else I just kind of sold off or got rid of. And it felt really good. Like yeah. I remember selling my skis, everything. I just didn't have anything that I was beholden to. And I got money out of it. And I was like, wow, this feels really good. I've now got one suitcase, one small carry-on backpack and a tennis racket cover. And even that felt like too much. Like I remember my suitcase <laughs> being pretty heavy and I was like, oh, this is quite a lot of stuff. So when I got to Argentina, I was just determined to not get anything more. And I, I moved into a furnished apartment and I just, it was great. And it's very freeing. But I mean, until you try it, it's, you know, people accumulate stuff as if material possessions actually define who they are. And I know that sounds a bit rich coming from me, but I literally have arrived in San Diego a few days ago. I was sitting outside a coffee shop and this guy pulls up in his pretty sweet Porsche Cayenne and he's got the music pumping and he's looking around to see who's looking at him. And I was like, dude, you're clearly defined by yeah. this thing that you're in, you know, rather than you just being a cool person. I mean, yeah, it was a great song. So turn it up loud. I'm all for that. <laughs> but it just felt like he was going, look at me. This is my status. I have made it. Now, I would far prefer to spend I don't know how much he invested in that car, whether it was between 30 to 100K. Um, I would far prefer to spend that for six years of traveling around the world and having the most incredible experiences and meeting amazing people yeah. and still not having a Porsche to my name. You know, because I can yeah. go out and hire one. I can go out and rent one. I can borrow one off a friend. Um, so I think coming back to what you said, yeah, I think it, it's become something that I've become more addicted to. And there is something very freeing about it. And it's incredible because I want to buy experiences, not stuff. So that is become my philosophy and way of life. In two years time, I may completely, you know, backtrack and I might finally buy a house and settle in, but I still think even then I'm going to keep paring down. I'm incredibly good at getting rid of stuff and yeah. keeping it light and lean. <laughs> well, I mean, even, even if you're not that guy, even if you're not the guy who, who, who is, <laughs> is, is seriously, you know, ostentatious and, you know, walking around like everyone look at me, you know, it's still so easy to, um, transfer um, all our sense of meaning and purpose onto the stuff that we own. I mean, uh, that's why so many people 
um, have massive amounts of debt. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like, because you think, because I've done it, you know, you think going and buying that 70-inch flat screen or the Audi A4 or whatever it is that you really want is going to make you happy. And, and it may for a little while, you know, for like a day, but but seriously, like a little bit of time passes and um, and it doesn't, then it's just a car and then it's just a TV and you realize that, you know, it gets me to the same place my other car did and this TV shows me the same programs that the other one did and it, it doesn't satisfy. And I'm curious to know if in your experience, like with, as you talked about experiences and minimalism and, and, you know, I'm very attracted to all those ideas. Absolutely. And, um, I don't want to say, you know, have you found happiness or, or, or (laughs) meaning? Because I think that, you know, that those things aren't going to necessarily provide it either. You kind of find that in yourself, but I guess that is sort of what I'm asking you is, is through all these, you've had some amazing experiences, what is it that you think um, provides meaning in your life or makes you happy? That is such a great question. And this is why later this year, in fact, in May, I'm going to be starting on embarking on this whole new study around, and hopefully the first global study around freedom, because Mm. I think it's going to be fascinating to uncover that. And I think a lot of it will come down to happiness and what is happiness to people. Um, So to kind of answer your question and make sure that I get it right, a lot of it does come down to the search for just what makes me happy. And the more that I've realized over the years is the less that I have and the more time I spend with great friends and um, experiencing new things or beautiful places or just crazy cool things, that makes me infinitely more happy than when I was in my nine to five job and even earning a lot of money and buying more stuff. Uh, so it, I guess it is a quest for freedom, adventure and happiness. Yeah. Does that make sense? Did I answer that? Yeah, it it definitely does. And I guess I want to know, like, for you, what what it is and not just in general, like um, what you think it is for everyone else. But um, but also it's uh, I feel the exact same thing you do. Like I when I became an entrepreneur, I thought, you know, this was going to make me happy. And because I hated I just hated being employed. I hated working for, you know, I wanted control over my own time. And, and am I happier? Yes, I am happier, but I'm, there's also a lot of other things that come with that. You know, I'm a lot more stressed because now, you know, it's, um, I'm always trying to figure out, you know, how I'm going to make money and, and maybe this thing didn't work out and I got to try that thing. And, you know, so, um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, I'm trying to find a question in there somewhere. <laughs> but, I think uh, to answer, well, the question that you're trying to find in there, it's really fascinating just with hearing you say that because I've experienced the same, right? You start a business, you think you're going to have more time, you don't. You think yeah, you're going to have more yeah, money, yeah, you don't yeah. initially, right? But what drives me now and what makes me happy is living on purpose, which I know people, you'll hear that go, oh, I feel so on purpose, but I honestly do. So if I can change or help or touch one person's life and they email me two years later and say, Natalie, I finally struck out. I did my own thing. I'm living in Mexico. I love my life. I'm living in this cool house. I've got, you know, a dog and my family. I'm, that's every single thing comes back to those moments. So it's not just about me, but I just love, love, love helping people experience their own version of freedom and happiness. You know, you, you hit that. That's exactly, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that the living on purpose phrase, um, that's what I was trying to get to. Um, okay. and you think that, uh, versus living, um, a reactionary life and, 
you think that when you strike out on your own and do your own thing that, you know, I'm 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 taking life by the horns and I'm going to live on purpose now. But I found after six years of being a freelancer, you know, sometimes um, I'm not necessarily living any more on purpose than I was before. I'm still just batted around by the needs of, of clients and and mostly the needs of money, needing to make money and trying to figure out how I'm going to get the money and having to do whatever I have to do to get that money. So um, I'm really interested to know how do you live on purpose? You know, like how do you, how, what is it that you do where you can end the day or end the week or end the month and know that, you know, I haven't just, uh, let life happen to me this month. Like I've actually accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. Oh man, it's just a feeling. Like I wake up with it every day and I'm not trying to sound naff, but there's a very rare day when I don't wake up feeling happy and excited about what I'm going to work on and what I'm going to do. Uh, and I think that's just come from years of, you know, paring down my business, systemizing it, streamlining it so I don't feel so beholden to it, freeing up more of my time to spend doing the things I love, which ironically are travel, adventure, and my business. So I pretty much feel I've created my dream lifestyle. And it's been tough and it's been challenging and it's been unconventional. But what makes me feel on purpose and happy is knowing that I'm not living an ordinary life or I'm living the best version of my life. And in some ways, there's a there's a big rebel inside of me. So the more people who say, ooh, how do you do that? Or that's not possible or et cetera, et cetera, makes me feel that I'm even more determined to keep helping other people to do this for themselves in their own unique way. And at the same time, I'm helping myself. Does that make sense? So yeah, every yeah. every day, it's kind of like fighting for freedom is, is my purpose in whatever way that means to you or to me. I um, love that you call it a fight because I feel like it is a fight. You know, it, <laughs> it's not it's not something you just I mean, everyone, right? Everyone has to. I think, you know, um, wants to be happy and wants to quote, as we've been talking about, live on purpose and, and, um, you know, have meaning and, and happiness in their life, but it doesn't just happen. At least I found in my life, I keep, th I always kept thinking when I get to that next stage, you know, when I was in college, it was like, okay, once I'm out of college and I have a career and I have a family and I have the house and the dog and the 1.2 kids, whatever. Okay. That's when, I'll be happy. And then I got those things and it, it wasn't. And, and then it became entrepreneurship. And, you know, we keep chasing these things thinking that's what's going to what that's what's going to do it. And so I'm always fascinated by people who who are doing it like they are feeling it like they feel like what they're doing is meaningful and purposeful and it does make them feel that way. I always want to know, like, what the hell are you doing? You know, <laughs> like, what are you doing that that gives that to you? Because I think that's the ultimate that's worth more than anything. I mean, that's worth more than any amount of money you could get or any size house or whatever. Like that feeling is, I think, you know, Absolutely. worth more than anything. And do you know what it is? If I can summarize it in the words of Eckhart Tolle, it's the power of now. So I practice and I'm not always great at it, but more often than a lot of other people I meet, I practice being present and just enjoying right here, right now. Because if I, I don't think about the past actually ever, yeah. <laughs> I try not to think about the future that often. And therefore, I'm just here right now enjoying the sunshine, enjoying this conversation fully, enjoying just, you know, feeling great after my workout that I did, enjoying the fact that I know I can go to the beach soon. Uh, just being present and feeling that in the moment is, I think, the greatest form of happiness you can have. So being in the power of now. Was there Was there ever a point where... Because I agree with you, um, but my, my I guess, uh, 
uh, I, I guess how I would respond to that, to just push that conversation a little bit is it's very difficult to, to live in the moment and the power of now when you're struggling financially, you know, and a lot of conversation I've had lately have, have kind of come around to this financial struggle issue because that's just, um, you know, my conversations on this show tend to revolve around whatever I'm going through. <laughs> so okay, it's enough, like yeah. if you're, if you're trying to, uh, you know, maybe you don't have a successful business or you, you want to be an entrepreneur or whatever it is you're doing, um, but you're still trying to figure out how to stop going paycheck to paycheck and, and that's what's stressing you out. Um, it seems like it's very difficult to to appreciate and live in the moment in that situation. Have you ever been in that kind of situation? I guess is yeah, what I'm trying absolutely. to say. Absolutely. And I guess my answer back to that is that is the absolutely critical time you need to just appreciate being here because you have your health, you hopefully have fresh air, you can still walk out into the sunshine, you can mm-hmm. still stop and watch the birds, you can still make your kids laugh, you can still grab your wife and make her feel like the best thing on the planet. None of that requires money. Yeah. And I know that may sound a little bit rich for people who are not at that point, but absolutely I've been there. And it was right in between when I left the business that I co-founded and started my own thing. And I was pretty much broke for six months. Mm-hmm. I have never been broke in my life. I've always managed to sort of bring it away to make more money. But I deliberately sat in that shitty, shitty place of being broke and not knowing if I was going to be able to pay rent and having only $18 in my bank account and therefore having to hustle because I didn't want to ask anybody for money, even though I technically could have. So I purposefully sat in that uncomfortable place because I was like, you need to know what this feels like so you are never here again. And it wasn't nice. Like there were nights when I cried. There were nights when I was like, maybe I should just ring my parents back in New Zealand. Um, (laughs) You know, how am I going to pay this rent? And I made it happen. I hustled. I finally closed a client because I had to in order to pay rent. So I do know what it feels like, but I will tell you, And I just had a flashback, even in those moments when I was like making my own food at home and living on just like eggs and just like really cheap stuff all day, baked beans, I would still go out running. You know, I didn't have a gym membership or anything. And I was living in Vancouver. Vancouver is a very expensive city, but it's also very beautiful. So I would go out and do as many free things as I could, throwing throwing the Frisbee in the park, um, walking a friend's dog because I just love being around dogs going down to the waterfront and just taking a walk along there and going, oh, my God, I'm so lucky to live here. How beautiful is this? And I couldn't afford any of the beautiful apartments down there. I couldn't, you know, go and spend money on coffees and all those things. But I could certainly be in that place and feel like an absolute rock star. And and I did. And that's kind of what got me through as well as a lot of determination and hustle. So I feel like you're talking about you're talking a lot about gratefulness right now, like like almost like even in that moment. And it makes me feel a little guilty for saying what I just said, because even if I was completely broke, I mean, it's like, come on, I, I have it so much better than, you know, the majority of the population on the planet. And, you know, Absolutely. taking note of that and being grateful for that, like you just said, I think can have a massive uh, impact on your mood, you know, your mindset. Absolutely. And the second thing that I think we just discussed before, which is a big one here, and people can tell me if they think I'm being off here, but you, I mean, I'm not talking about just you here, but everybody chooses in general, especially in this first world country, um, how they're going to live life. So you spent money on that TV, you spent money on yeah. that car, you spent money on the house. So in in every respect, you have chosen to do that. And that's cool because that's what a lot of people do, right? But as we just came to, there's probably a whole lot of possessions that people have spent money on that they didn't really need, that have cost them a lot, that they now can't really afford. 
Uh, there's always ways to downsize, minimize, sell that off, feel richer, but freer. There yeah. are also other places that you can live and have an incredible quality of life. Now, this isn't possible for everybody, but I've interviewed people on my podcast and in my book who have families who have taken off to other sides of the world where education is still good or homeschooled. They've reduced their costs significantly and they actually have a better quality of living. So I'm not suggesting that dramatic impact, but there's always something there's yeah. always something that you can do about it. So it's really at the end of the day, you've made these decisions and sacrifices. So be happy and grateful for them. And if you're not, start changing them bit by bit and looking at your options. Yeah, I, you know, very practically, when you were in that place for six months there in Vancouver, what, what was it that you did? Did you um, fall back on some skills you have and decide to do some freelance kind of work? Or, you know, obviously you didn't just go get a job. You know, what was no, it that yeah. you did when you said, I've got $18, I've got to have money. What what did you do? Yeah, I was determined not to get a job. So I had, because of the work that I'd done through fundraiser and the application that we'd built, I'd, I'd got a little bit of a reputation for being great with social media and, and having built that business from scratch. So that's mm -hmm. all I could draw on at that point was my years in the marketing experience and business development, the social media and the tech company I'd founded. And I just, I networked and I talked to people and I said, here's what I can help people with, even though I was still figuring it out. And I realized I had a nice intersection between showing people how to use this growth tool that at the time was still pretty new, social media, to build their business and brand online. So I was trying to combine all my skills. And I would just go and talk to companies and say, oh, you're not doing this right now. I could show you in you know 10 minutes, 20 minutes how you could increase that. And I talked to one client. They were just starting their startup and they'd seen what I'd done with our company. And they are like, we'd like you to do that for us. Can you you know, can we meet about it? Can you put together a quote? So yeah, my first gig was a consulting gig, which mm -hmm. was my last consulting gig because I didn't enjoy it. But, <laughs> um, you know, I literally, I said, yeah, that'll be, I remember, I, I remember saying that'll be $2,000, which sounded like so much to me, yeah. but they were like, oh, okay. And I was like, yeah, and I need 50% up front. And they're like, why? And I was like, cause that's how consultants work. Yeah. <laughs> I was sure it was how it worked. And they're like, okay. And they cut me a check for that thousand. And I literally shook their hand and ran across the road and banked it to cover my rent that was coming out the next yeah. day. So, you know, I hustled. Like I just, every opportunity to speak to people, every referral I could get. And it just was a result of hard work and staying true to it and just knowing that it was going to manifest itself. And I don't talk about manifesting often, but when you, I say I'm a very lucky person and luck is opportunity yeah. meaning preparation, right? So I was prepared. <laughs> yeah, I created the opportunities and I got lucky. Yeah. 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 No, that my last episode was all about, you know, um, how you make your own luck, which is pretty much, you know, creating your own opportunities. And um, no one, you know, Seth Godin talks about, you know, waiting to be picked and stuff. No one's going to pick you, you know, like if you want something, you kind of have to go and get it. And uh, permission. Exactly. Yeah. Is that, so you said that was your last consulting um, gig. Like, w at Pretty what bad. point in this story <laughs> did you start deciding, okay, I'm going to make products and like training courses and I'm going to write a book and I'm going to do a blog and a pod, you know, this sort of content marketing space. Um, when did you get into that? Well, I, so I left to pursue, I left my, the business I co-founded to pursue my blog, which I'd been doing for about two or three months and I really loved it. And it was my business partner who said, hey, Natalie, I feel like you're more in love with your blog in a good way and that you should pursue that as an individual thing and go and start your own business. Um, and so we left on really good terms and then I realized all I had was a blog. So I had about three months worth of blog content. I just threw myself into learning how to build a community, how to write better, um, how to become a better blogger, et cetera, how to reach out to people and get interviews. And 
around that time, around six months into it, right after that consulting gig that I finished and got paid for, I ran a series of social media boot camps. So that was the very first hmm. thing or offering that I put out there. I tapped into some government funding in Vancouver, which meant that every person could come along for around $100, but I'd get $1,500. It was brilliant. Wow. I made, I went from $0 pretty much to $15,000 one month, and I went, holy shit, this stuff works. Yeah. Um, I put my all into the workshops. I over-delivered. I had three sellout workshops. I got incredible feedback, and I realized that I actually knew a lot more than I thought. So teaching is a great thing for that, mm -hmm. and that I love teaching, and then I love speaking. And then what most normal people would have done at that point was continue to stay and live in the place they'd set up all their networks, run more workshops, become a you know defined consultant, build a whole business around it. And I went, no, 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 I'm going to go off to Buenos Aires. So yeah. I took that workshop and I turned it into an online program and I recorded all the modules. I spent 40 plus hours recording everything. Oh my God, it was so much effort and, and figuring out how to launch an online product. So that was my first monetized program slash product on my site. And after that, I created a, an ebook because I listened to what my community was saying. They were like, Natalie, you're really good with tools and systems and what tools do you use and could you teach us? So I created a book around that. Um, and then I went on to launch a series of guides related to always what my community were struggling with or asking for. I, I ask a lot, like, what's your number one challenge? Mm -hmm. And then I listen and then I create something that solves that. Yeah, so um, that first yeah. product that you made... Um, that was, uh, when was that? Was that, uh, that was in, so it was 2000 and hang on a second, it was late 2010. So I ran the workshops in September of 2010. And then I was pretty much in Buenos Aires by November, December. And I launched the online program right around then. And I launched my next ebook while I was in Buenos Aires in around February, March. It was, it was way too much launching in a short period of time, <laughs> but I had not a lot of money. So, you know, I was, like, what can I do to make this work? And I've given this a full-time shot now, so how do I figure it out? What, what gave you the idea to do an online course? Because at that point, in 2010, it wasn't, I mean, now it's like everyone, I mean, including myself, has, <laughs> has a course. You know, that's the thing. You know, you, you build an audience and you, you make a, a, an information product, but it wasn't as common then. So um, uh, what, what made you think, I, I, what, what gave you the idea for an online, like, information product? It definitely wasn't as common, but but it definitely had been done. You know, people have been doing online courses since yeah. the late 90s. So I actually felt I was a little bit late to the game. But now it's interesting because I do agree everybody's doing it. And it's smart. It's monetizing yourself. Um, what made me do it is that I wanted to be able to, you know, I already had the foundations of the workshop. But I was like, I can only reach 8 to 10 people per workshop. Mm -hmm. So if I put this online and offer it virtually, I can scale infinitely and I can reach out and help a ton more people. That was literally the only premise behind it. I was like, this isn't scalable. I can't run physical workshops all the time. There were a bunch of people who said they missed out and wanted to come. There's a bunch of people in other parts of the world who wanted me to do it. And I was like, I'm not going to fly around and run a whole lot of physical workshops, which I, I do. But, um, yeah. but I was like, how can I <laughs> put this online and reach you know all these people? Because I have a pretty international audience and it seems unfair that they'd miss out just because they didn't live in Vancouver. So that was, was it pretty successful, reason. that first one? Did it work out for you? Uh, it was okay. I mean, it, looking back, I think, I'm trying to remember what I sold it for. I think it was totally underpriced. It was like $297, $297 for this huge, awesome online program. And I remember I made, I ran a webinar for the first time in my life. I had 30 people turn up live. Woohoo. And I made one sale and I was like, oh my God, I'm crushing it. And then I continued <laughs> to maybe make eight to nine more sales. So I think in that very first launch, 
you know, I made a couple of thousand dollars, but that was huge to me. That yeah. I was like, this stuff works. I can make money online. I can, okay, I can do this. So yeah, yeah it wasn't looking back now. That was pretty small, but it was huge to me at that time and a great start. Um, and then the ebook, that was a tough one. Like I invested a lot more into that. I think I broke even initially and then it's gone on to, con- I've discontinued it, but it went on to sell during that whole year and, and actually bring in some really decent income, but yeah. not, not enough to live on at all. Like I was piecemeal approach. That's why I was still doing some social media strategy work. Uh, that's why I was, uh, I would continue to run events. That's when I started getting my first podcast sponsor. I just, everything. I was just throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what was sure. stick and trying everything. And that's why I ended up with six to seven great revenue streams just yeah. because I was trying so much. Well, so what is it? I mean, now I know that you're trying to help people, you know, we talked, you know, about the, the living on purpose stuff, you know, help other people do that. Like what, what, what is the, like, what's sort of the mission at the moment? So my mission is by 2020 to help a hundred thousand plus entrepreneurs create freedom in business and adventure in life. That's been my mission for the last whatever three years. Um, and I, I kind of gauge that through the amount of customers I have, the amount of people in my community, the amount of people coming to my workshops, my retreats who are reading my book. Uh, so yeah, I wrote my book in 2013. I finally felt like I had the suitcase entrepreneur book could be such a lifesaver for people. So it was mm-hmm. all my knowledge and everything I'd learned into one book. Um, and it's still going really well. And from there, you know, once you've written a book, you've sort of put all your knowledge down to paper, then you can turn those into separate products and programs that break that down even more and have a live learning element and just much more in depth. So that's ultimately what the Freedom Plan has become. And I launched that last year and I'm launching in April 2015. And I'm super excited. And that's my best piece of most definitive work ever. So, and what me, exactly I, is that? Is that an online course or what is it the is, Freedom Plan? It's a, surprising. It's an online course. But it, what I've realized is I actually put, took a real academic framework approach to this. I actually even invested in somebody to help me with what are the levels of mastery because so many courses that you've probably done and I've done, you end up not finishing them or mm-hmm. not completing them. And 70% of people who buy an online program don't finish it. And that really frustrates me because I love people to take action. And the only way you're going to get the life and business you love is through doing the work. So yeah. it's um, a 10-week program. It used to be eight. There are 12 modules, and I take you through three stages. And mine differs, I think, to any other online business building course because mine is about what is the freedom mindset that you need to live an unconventional life and be a successful entrepreneur who can travel if they choose. Then it goes into the nuts and bolts foundations of monetizing yourself through building an online business from anywhere, and it finishes off with the location independence and the whole aspect around travel and relationships and dealing with people and their perception of you. So it's quite unique in that way. It's very much geared towards people who want lifestyle businesses, who are either in business already and want more freedom to spend with their kids at home, or who have a side hustle and are wanting to you know, build it into a business and take it on the road with them. So it's not just for people who want to travel then. Absolutely yeah. not. No, yeah. I'd say 70% of my audience, ironically, don't want to travel like I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, they, yeah. but they see the freedom that I have and they see the fun that I have and they're like, awesome, I want more of that, but I just want it in my home or my hometown. Yeah. Um, no, so, and the biggest piece of it for me is that it's the levels of mastery that I take them through to learn these concepts and actually apply them. And there's eight group coaching calls because I love getting live on calls with people and that's the jamming. And then there's an accountability community group, which is infinitely priceless. I've noticed over the years, the biggest thing that I think gets people results is being in a like-minded community of people Mm. who are supporting them. So 
it has all those elements like many great courses, but I it's also got me behind it and I'm just so passionate about making this happen for people. Yeah, so you launched it last year and you say you're launching it this is it like a sort of a version two or is it is it is it's okay. a much improved so last year i did a pilot and it sold out and i didn't even advertise it i just mentioned it to a few people who i thought would be great for it and i said would you like to come in this pilot and it was incredible and then from that i launched the full program in september and it went fantastically well and i had people getting great results and then i asked them for their most honest feedback and i went through and i was just like right how can i improve this and make it kick ass for the next you know three to five years and make it relevant and topical yeah so i've redesigned the entire curriculum it's still similar but it's it's even better and i re-recorded every single module and i've just improved the member site and i've just done so much to think more about their journey um made it slightly longer made them more accountability in there and a two-week implementation time so i'm really proud of it and i want it to be my flagship program for the next three to five years that changes thousands of people's lives yeah so that's my goal what's the uh what, what's the number one question you get asked most often huh <laughs> i think oh that's a it's changed a little bit actually um i often get what's your favorite country in the world <laughs> yeah that would make sense yeah but uh i think these days it's yeah, like why do you do what you do? So yeah. what you know, what is it that drives you to do that? Um, because a lot of people see it and they want to aspire to it, but I think deep down they don't necessarily really want to do it. They just want a, a piece of it. So yeah. what that would probably be the number one question is like, why do you do or how how did you do it? Yeah. And if not that, like why do you why do you travel the world? Like what are your favorite places in the world? Do you think that people are are asking like um, you know? how to how to travel like you do or do you think they're really what they're really asking is you know how can I have you know the freedom that you have I think it's one of two things I think it's how do I get what you've got but in a different form um and the second thing is I think for some people they're just like you seem like you're freaking mad how do you actually physically do this all the time <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's either belief bewilderment or um you know like I want what she's having <laughs> yeah yeah, that's fine. Well, so um, w w this whole sort of uh, life on purpose stuff, which sounds like your course gets into um, a lot of that, uh, which is just another way of, of talking about freedom and, and things like that. I don't know if there's um, one thing you can say, but uh, w if there is, uh, what I'm trying to ask is, what would you say is either the most important thing or maybe the first, at least the first step in um, in having that, if if you do know that you 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 want freedom and 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 you want to have a life that is sort of lived on your own terms and provides meaning and 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 not just a reactionary life, um, I don't know if you can say this is the one most important thing to do. But um, if not, maybe what's the first thing? Or I don't I don't know. What would you um, what would yeah, you say? Yeah, absolutely. There? The one most important thing to do is something I do teach in my freedom plan and it seems like such a simple exercise and it really works and it's because nobody really does it, which is basically writing down your perfect day. So Adam, if you could wake up tomorrow morning, no monetary constraints, no physical constraints, no, you know, travel constraints, what would you do? How would you spend your day? Who would you spend it with? What would you be working on? Where would you be? And what would it look, feel, smell, uh, yeah, yeah, be like? And uh, it blows my mind how many people, including myself a few years ago, 
have no freaking idea. They yeah. cannot answer that question. Yeah, people can't. Yeah. They cannot tell you in vivid detail, which takes a bit of time, but they cannot tell you, oh, I, I do this. And when you dig deeper, half the time, most people go, they wouldn't even be working. They'd be at the beach. They'd be playing their favorite sport. They'd be hanging out with their loved ones. They'd be having incredible discussions. They'd be dancing, singing, eating, whatever it may be. And I'm like, okay, so now that you've described this perfect day to me, which sounds phenomenal in your own you know, sense mm-hmm. of your own world, what are you going to do to make it happen more often? And that's when they're like, oh, I don't know. But for me, people go, I just want to be able to spend time reading a book today in a hammock on a beach. I'm like, great. Can you hang a hammock hammock up in your lounge or your backyard and take 20 minutes out of your day to go and read a book? Give yourself permission. If you love swimming by the ocean, but you're inland and you're nowhere near an ocean, can you go to a local swimming pool and get a similar kind of effect? And suddenly people are like, oh, or can you get up earlier and have breakfast with your loved ones once a week and feel like, You've got a bit more time in your day. Yeah. And people suddenly go, yeah, yeah, I could do that. I could do that. And so suddenly they start putting these little moments of their perfect day into their every day. And before they know it, they're having more and more of those perfect moments. And before they know it, they're having more and more of their perfect days. And yeah. so it's just about getting really clear on what you want your life to look like, your perfect life. And then you go after it and you make it happen bit by bit. What do you help? How do you help people? Because I, I, I was kind of interrupting you there, but it was, yeah, I know anytime I ask people that question, they can't answer it. And half mm-hmm. the time I can't answer it either. And the other thing is it changes. You know, it was That's- different before I had kids than it is now. That's- and I'm sure, you know, I'm 35. Probably when I'm 45, my perfect day will be different than it is now. So that given the fact that that changes and the fact that a lot of us have a hard time answering that, how do you help people? get down to like who they really are and what they really want. Um, cause that's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Well, it does start with just doing this exercise. Like this is why I get everybody in the freedom plan to do. It. It's one of the first things they do. The power of writing down and suddenly figuring out that you didn't realize that you wanted that is, is just incredible. And the minute you write something down and you get really clear on it, you start to make a mental shift and the universe, honestly, if you believe in it or not, starts to go, okay, now you finally told me what you want. I'm going to start delivering. I'm going to start yeah. making things happen. I'm going to start putting people in your way, things in your way, opportunities in your way that will make this a reality. Um, but people don't even take that step. They, they might tell me about it. I'm like, write it down. Yeah. Like, you, I, I guess, yeah, I, I guess what I meant was, is how do you personally determine oh. between like, um, when someone says, I'd like to lay in a hammock and read a book, um, how do you know if really what they honestly want to do with their life is to lay in a hammock and read books or if to them laying in a hammock and reading a book is just a sign of financial freedom or time freedom or whatever you know how do you know if that's really the thing or it's it's just a sign of something something else well that is the thing like absolutely if that person's telling me that i know what they just want is more time freedom they want the ability to do what they want when they want with who they want And yes, that'll come through financial freedom, but it'll also come through just better utilizing your time and setting up a business or a career that allows you to take time out and giving yourself the permission more than anything to go, I'm going to take a break right now because I can. So it's very obvious to me these days because I've seen so many people doing it, but it's helping them realize that. Well, that's awesome. So I'm guessing um, is is that your course and your book and is all this stuff at suitcaseentrepreneur.com or is there a different place for these things? 
It is. It's all there. So the book, the Freedom Plan. Uh, well, actually, the Freedom Plan's at thefreedomplan.rocks because the Freedom Plan rocks. So I thought that was a pretty cool <laughs> nice. URL. Nice. Um, and people can look there. And I've got a free video training series. But yeah, it uh, it's all on my site. You can see me there and Google me there and hit me up. Awesome. So you're building up now for this uh, this launch. That's are you going to be in San Diego when that happens? Are you going to be traveling when that happens? Like what's net? What's next on the calendar for you? Absolutely. I got myself to San Diego so I could have decent internet, which I just paid for. Uh, be in one place for once, and because launches are pretty <laughs> intense and exciting yeah. and yeah. all consuming. So I just wanted to know that I could be here with great internet, reliable base, be fit and healthy, spend time with friends, and focus in on this launch. Um, and after that, yeah, I'll be in Europe and running mastermind retreats and traveling around and maybe trying to find my ideal dream villa because I worked out the other day when I wrote down my sort of perfect uh, location actually that apparently I want to live in a dream country villa in the middle of Spain so I can invite friends and family and have people over (laughs) for retreats and have my dogs and chickens. Nice. Well that's awesome. Well (laughs) that's uh that does sound like a nice uh a nice uh ideal day so um but thank thanks for coming on and and talking to me i really appreciate it you're so welcome thanks for having me in the great conversation well that's it that's the show thanks for listening i'm glad you're here i'm glad you are listening to these episodes I'm still getting emails from those of you who care to send them, and they do mean a lot. I greatly appreciate it. It's a struggle. It's a struggle doing a three times a week show, and maybe sometimes I make it out to be harder than it is. I don't mean to, but it definitely is a struggle for me to keep this up at this pace, but I'm still enjoying it, and I'm loving the fact that it seems to be helping a number of you. So keep sending the emails. Uh, That does mean a lot to me. If you want to support the show financially, you can go to avclark.com slash support and do that. Uh, big thanks to those who've already done that. And in just in general, you can go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review or tell a friend about the show. Those things help quite a bit, more than you know. So one last thing, uh, if you're into podcasting, my new show, Irresistible Podcasting, is going to be launching soon. Head over to avclark.com slash ask and leave your voice question. You don't need any special gear to do it, but I would greatly appreciate it. And if you're featured on the show, then you're going to have a chance to win some pretty cool gear. All right. Well, that's it. Hope you have a great week and I'll see you next time. I'm sort of just an old guy with a big tongue. That's I'm just a big old tongue old man. That's all that is. Um, that's sort of how many words am I at?